Okay, if you have your words, uh, if you have your word uh, with you, I brought my Bible up, not because of the Gideon being here today, but I just miss the Bible, the hard Bible. I, I do a lot of online uh, uh, resources, and, uh, but every now and then I get my Bible out because it's trained. And I, and I encourage you to bring your word to church. Now, unfortunately, now when I have to read, now I've got to have reading glasses. But, uh, so I'm going to look up our key text uh, this morning. Psalms 90, verse 12. If you'll look with me, Psalms 90, verse 12. On first Wednesdays, we are playing Bible battle. So you bring your word then. And we're having a good time. Did I say the men are winning? The men are winning. And uh, we're excited about that. This next first Wednesday <laughs> will, be the, will be the last time that we can battle that out. And then somebody's going to be cooking for uh, the other folks. So Psalms 90 verse 12. If you have your Bible, let's look at it. I'll read one verse. This is our series text. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The premise for this message is, uh, series is very simple. What would happen if we were told that we only have 21 days to live? What would change about our life? What would be our priorities? How would we spend our time? What would be, one of the questions we'll be looking at is, what would be the top three things that we would want to get accomplished? So it's sort of a, a somber, a thought, a little grim to think about, but it's important. The psalmist says for us to gain a heart of wisdom, and that's what we have to have especially this day and time. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much today for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the days that you have given us. Your word says they're already ordered by you, and you determine how many days we have. Lord, speak to our hearts while we have today. Your scripture says today is the day of salvation. If there's anyone that needs to receive you, let it be today. And we thank you for your goodness in this time that we have. Lord, speak to our hearts. Church, let's pray it. Lord, speak to our hearts. Change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. What would I do? I've asked a couple of people, what would you do if you only had 21 days to live? And a couple of people that I, I've asked, uh, gave me their, their things that they would want to get accomplished, their, their top three. And it's very interesting because the two people I asked, and Patty was one of them, did not mention anything about getting right. Didn't mention anything about, I, I better seek God about it. And it was all things they named because of God, because of God in their lives and the business that they would want to take care of. And for the Christian, isn't that a witness? Isn't that a, a testimony that we don't have to be concerned about where we're headed? And we're going to be looking at it over the next few weeks, but we don't have to be determined about where we're headed. We're more determined about who we leave behind, what needs to be done there. Interesting question for us to consider. 
no one likes to think about dying. It's one of the reasons that funerals are, are so hard. Yes, we, we mourn the loss of the loved one, but we're also confronted with the fact that if the Lord tarries, every one of us will experience physical death on this earth. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 and 2 says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There is a time to be born and a time to die. Job, it says this, Mortals born of women are, are a few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and wither away, like fleeting shadows they do not endure. Verse 5 says, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of the months and have set limits he cannot exceed. God has already determined the days that you live and the days that I live. He already knows, I just don't have a joke, I'm going to give old Boudreaux and Thibodeau a break, and we're going to call this old Bubba and Billy Joe, okay? So, old Bubba and Billy Joe were out hunting one day in the bayous, and, and Bubba was uh, bitten by a rattlesnake right on his behind, and he told Billy Joe, hurry and go get a doctor, and Billy Joe went into town and found the doctor, and the doctor uh, told the doctor what happened, and the doctor uh, told him, I cannot leave. I have an emergency right now I'm taken care of. But I'm going to tell you what to do. You go back and you expose the area where the bite was. And you make an incision with the knife and you just suck that poison out of it. Billy Joe looked very concerned and he asked the doctor, but doctor, ain't there another way? And uh, he said, no, that's the way you have to do it. So Billy Joe goes back and he gets to Bubba and um, uh, Bubba was already very lethargic. And Bubba asked him, is the doctor coming? What did he say? And Billy Joe looked at Bubba and just shook his head and said, he said, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, that's the case with all of us. We're going to die. There will be a time. Someone will be at our funeral. I heard a preacher one time that preached a funeral and I forget the guy's name, but let's just call him Tom for the sake of the story. And he said, Tom never, Tom never had time for church beforehand, but the preacher said, but he's here now. And he never wanted to think about God beforehand, but he's here now. And isn't that the case? One day we will be probably at a church, maybe at a funeral chapel, and there will be people that will either celebrate our life uh, the, or the pastor will try to come up with some good things that he can say. I know the difference. Those funerals are very hard to preach. So there are three things about life that we all have in common. The first one is this. Our physical life is short. It is a vapor, the scripture says. In James, it says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this place or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. 
Boy, but we make plans like we're going to be here forever, don't we? And our physical life is nothing more than a vapor compared to eternity. They say the average life expectancy in the U.S. now uh, is 79 years old. And I've done some figuring on that. 79 years. Do you realize that's only 28,835 days? If you break that down into hours, that is only 692,040 hours. Hours. Well, I like to take it all the way to the minutes. The minutes are 41 million five hundred and twenty two thousand and four hundred minutes there are people who have more money more dollars than they have minutes to live i'm not one of those are you <laughs> i'm glad it's not dependent on how many dollars you have depending on the minute you know that determines the minutes that you live but life is short our physical life is short but number two our spiritual life is eternal. And isn't it amazing how much time we spend pleasing our physical life and how much little time that we spend growing and nurturing our spiritual life? And you're doing good because you're here today. Matthew 25, Jesus talking about those that do not live for him. He said this, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There's only two choices. There's not an in-between. It's either an eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. The good news, the scripture says that hell was not prepared for me and you. We have an option. It's called receiving salvation. The price has been paid. But we must receive the Lord into our life. And he must become our Savior and our Lord if we want eternity in heaven. If we do not, we will live eternity and that eternity will be in hell. We'll talk more about that coming up probably next Sunday. Our third thing that we life has in common is this. How we live our life is vitally important. How we live that dash in between our birth date and our death date. There's a little dash. And how we live that little small dash is so important for our eternity and for the eternity of many others. What we do with that time. What do we, uh, the, the, do we make the most of the opportunity that we've been given? We only have this life, this time, this opportunity. We need to make the most of the time we have. So back to our question. The top three. What would be your top three? If today you were told you only have 21 days to live. What would be the three top things you would do? If you would, let's take a moment. If you have a pen, jot it down. If you have your notes on your phone or some way to make a note, do that. I would like for everyone just to take a moment, if you can, if you will, 
just what are those top three? I know I, I got to think about that, brother. That's pretty heavy. Well, they're, they're probably already there. They're, they're probably, uh, it won't take you long to think about it. What are those top three things? And, and if you would write those down. The top three tells you three things. The first one is this, the things that are most important to you. The things that you value. The things that you consider to be priorities for you. These are the things that are already there. You don't have to think much about them. They're having a good time in nursery. Your kids are being ministered to. Praising the Lord. Isn't that awesome? The, the second thing it tells you this, the things that you need to work on. Oh, man, I, this is supposed to be my priority, but somewhere along the line, I, I've, I've put other things before it. So it tells you those things that, hey, this, this is number one. I, I know that, you know, all the other looks so important, but, man, when it comes down to my last days of life, this is more important. It tells you the things that you really need to work on. And then the third thing it tells you is the things that are not important. Spend all of my energy, all of my success, all of my time trying to gain this success, and it's really not that important compared to my last days on earth. There was an a, a, a Australian nurse, her name is Bronnie Ware, who spent several years working in hospice, the hospice-style care and so she heard the last statements of her patients. And she comp comprised all of those statements. She took the top five things that she heard over the many years working with the last days, uh, working with patients who were living their last days. And, and she even wrote a book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she listed those top five things that she heard people say with their last breaths, their, those last days. And here they are. The first one was this. She heard this. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. The second thing she heard the most, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. The third thing, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. The fourth thing she said, she said, I, she heard, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. The fifth thing was, I wish that I had let myself be happier. Now, those were very interesting uh, to me when I read those because there was not one single regret that had anything to do with the spiritual. And I can't help but think about after, after they stepped into their eternity, if they could come back, would their number one regret change? And I believe it would. Our top three. Let me tell you the things that really matter in life. And maybe yours line up with these. Maybe it doesn't, but these are the things that really matter. I'm fixing to give you the top three things that should be important to us, most important to us. The first one is this, God. God should be number one on your list. Your relationship with him. The second thing is this, relationships 
the people that you love. That should be number two. Number three is your legacy. What am I leaving behind? What did my life accomplish? And those are some of the things that we're going to be looking at today. I want to focus on number one, God. A God first life. What does that look like? Having God first. Because when God is first, you really don't have to worry about eternity. You will worry about the eternity of those you're leaving behind. But you won't have that concern about your eternity when God is first. In other words, you won't have a statement sort of like 21 days. I better get it right with the Lord. A God first says, God, I am waiting to see you. I know I am headed to see you. Now, pastor, does that mean you wouldn't, you wouldn't check your heart? Oh, no, no, no. I will check my heart. God, is there anything in me? As a matter of fact, I do that, try to do that every day anyway. Lord, I am ready to see you, but is there anything that you need to tell me beforehand? But I won't spend much time doing that because of my relationship. And when you have a God-first life, you have the relationship, and you'll have an expectation. Even though it's unknown, you'll have an expectation of what is to come. That's when living really begins. I've heard stories and even talked to some that have lived for the Lord and they lost their, their spouse and they have this kind of attitude. Lord, why can't you just let me die? I'm ready to be with you. Have you ever heard anyone say things like that? Do you know someone right there that says that? Lord, I just want to be with you. Why don't you just take me on? That is the perspective of someone who has lived a God-first life. That where I am headed is so much better than where I am now. So let's make sure, whether we have 21 days, whether we have 21 years, or whether we have 21 hours, let's make sure today that we position God where he belongs, and that is first place in our life. What does a God-first life look like? In light of eternity, I'm telling you, let me say this, our first priority would not be money, it would not be success, it would not be fame. It would be God, God in your life, God as your source, God as your Savior through Jesus Christ. So what does a God-first life look like? If you're taking notes, number one, a God-first life is a life of prayer. A life of prayer. If God is going to be first in your life, it must be more than just a coming to church, more than just a one-time prayer. It's got to be more than just uh, saying grace over your food. It's got to be a relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer. And prayer is the way. It is the way we grow in our closeness with the Lord. Salvation prayer or the commitment prayer that we pray every Sunday, uh, God honors that. And I tell us all the time, that is a prayer that initiates a relationship with him. It's not to be said one time and forgot about. It is to initiate a wonderful relationship with him. And that happens through prayer. That's the way we get close to him. That's the way he imparts his wisdom to us, his 
direction to us, it's through prayer. It is our communication with a loving Father, and we must pray. If God is first in your life, you will want to spend time with him. Jesus said this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think maybe some of the times the reason that we don't want to spend time in prayer or we fail to spend time in prayer is, yeah, we have a flesh that fights that, doesn't it? How many of you get sleepy in prayer? I mean, you, you lay before the Lord, but, but you ain't praying. You're snoring, and, and your flesh just fights that, doesn't it? But I think one of the things that keep us, that, that maybe uh, keep us from coming to God as we should is our perception of him that Satan has sold us a lie that God is waiting for us. To, just like when you did something wrong, you didn't want to go when your mama called your full name. When she said, and, and she hollered out the door, get in here. And Satan has sold us that lie that God is ready to strike us over the head, ready to punish us for all the wicked that we've done. And God, this is the image that we should have. He is a loving father with arms open wide. And should he punish you, it's through love. And it's always to bring you closer to him, not, to, not for you to be afraid of him. Go to your father in prayer. He will tell you how much he loves you. You will feel his presence working in your life. You will always be glad when you spend time with the Lord in prayer. That's a God first life. It has to be a life of prayer. A God-first life is a life of obedience. Boy, we don't like that word, do we? You can, uh, you know, we can, we can do what we want, but when somebody tells us what we need to do, it's what we reject. My sweet sister, I'll use her as an example. Don't you love being a part of the family that I got all your stories? My sister, she didn't care about sweets before she was diagnosed as a diabetic. And she loved sweets right after that. She's like craving them. And we talked about it before. As soon as someone tells you what you cannot do, that's the very thing you want to do. It's innate in our flesh to rebel. <laughs> Don't you tell me. I'll do what I want. And, but when it comes to putting God first, he has to be first over our desires, over our will. Over the things that we want, he has to be placed first place. He has to have the master suite, not the guest room. But I have found and I have discovered when I put him first, it's always so much better off. What he provides in my life, what he produces in my life, the way he blesses our life, it's, I'm so glad I do it his way. His way is the best way. How many of you have discovered that? It really is. And a God first life has to be a life of obedience. John 8, 31 says this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So to know God's will, to obey God's will, we got to know it. And to know God's will, we got to be students of his word. We have to be able to understand what God's will is. 
and when we understand God's will, if we apply it to our lives, that's when we experience freedom. But it comes from knowing his will, and that is so, it's so good that Gideon is here today. That we, the, the importance of God's word, somewhere along the line, we have, we've misplaced it. We have, we have put it as not essential. And I'm telling you, what God is doing, he will do by his word. He will back up his word. He'll never tell you anything contrary to his word. You will be led to truth by his word. We need God's word in our life. And we need to obey it. It's not the way, my interpretation, it's God's interpretation that matters. Amen? Anybody awake this morning? Come on. And we must have God's word. And then when we have God's word with his spirit helping us, we can obey. God would not tell us anything that we could not do. If he tells you to do something, he's given you his word to let you know how to please him. And he's given you his spirit to help you. It's a win-win when you put him first in your life. He will help you to live a life pleasing to him. We must obey. So a God-first life is a life of prayer. It's a life of obedience. Number three, a God-first life is a life of commitment. Oh, that's another one of those words, ain't it? Commitment. Synonym for commitment is dedication. My definition of dedication is this, a devoted decision that trumps other desires and difficulties. Commitment. That this is what I'm going to do. And I'll do it even when it's not easy to do it. This is what I'm going to do. And the Christian life has got to be a committed life. It's got to be a, a losing of yourself to gain new life. Jesus said, that those who would come after me must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. That when we lose our life, it's when we find it. Where we're miserable is when we try to hold on to both. And it never works. You have to let go of what used to be to receive what can be in him. Oh, I'm telling you, that's hitting home for somebody today. You have to be committed to him. You have to make that decision. Lord, good, bad, ugly, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. You are stuck with me. I'm sorry about it. This is what you got to work with, but I know you will. And I have to throw this in, being a pastor, commitment means being committed to his church, his body. We understood a couple of weeks ago, we learned that it's not just the building, it's the gathering of saints. We need each other, and we need to be able to come and be encouraged. That's God's body, the church, and we need to be committed to his church, committed to serve, committed to receive, yes, committed to give, to, committed to support. We need to be committed to his house. Jesus talking about talking to Peter when Peter gave gained the revelation of Jesus being the Messiah this is what Jesus said to Peter he said blessed are you Simon son of Jonah 
For this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, not talking about on Peter, even though he would become the father of the New Testament church. He's talking about on the revelation that he was the Messiah, that I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And can I tell you, it seems like in America, the gates of hell are prevailing because the church is not being built by Jesus Christ. That when we put him as first place in our lives and as a church, we lift him up and him only and seek him, then the church can be built. People will come to Christ and the gates of hell have to swing open wide for God to regain everything that was stolen. Come on, somebody. I like that because he said the gates will not prevail. That the gates, I see it in my mind, as those gates have to swing open and the people that Satan has stolen, which is a lot of our family, amen, that are alive, of course, but that we can... Christ wants to redeem them. Those, that territory can be reclaimed in Jesus' name. And the church is so important to your commitment as a Christian. Yes, prayer, reading God's word, but church has to be. And I'm troubled today because so many people say that they're committed to God, living for God, but they're not committed to his church anymore. And if you can't be committed to your church that you are attend, find you one that you can, but make sure it's preaching Jesus Christ uh, and the full word of God. Amen? Amen. Boy, I feel like a, just an old Pentecostal preacher right now. I'm going to hold this for a little bit. Maybe jump on me some more. And Jesus said in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives and just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her to make her whole, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And look at verse 27. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blem blemish, but holy and blameless. He refers to the church as his bride. He's coming back for his bride, the church. Let's make sure we are a part of his body. Let's make sure that we are committed to his church. Amen. They are really worshiping now. Amen. All right, and then number four, the first thing that a God first life, first, a fourth way that it looks, what it looks like is this. A God first life is a life of good works. Now, let me clarify. You're not saved by good works. Amen. It is a gift given. It is received. But with salvation comes some responsibility. With salvation comes some things that the Lord has planned for us. And I have discovered this. With salvation, those things we want to do. We want to proclaim. We want to share God's word. We want to do these things for the Lord. And the scripture teaches us this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, or handiwork, this uh, translation says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And I love this. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that awesome that God thinks you have the goods to do good stuff for him? 
Why can you think that? Because you have his spirit living inside of you. And he has things already planned for you to do. Already things customized with his spirit working through you that you can accomplish for the kingdom of God. That we could be a part of snatching somebody that's headed to hell and sending them to heaven. Isn't that awesome? What is better than that? Would you stand, please? 21 days to live. The honest truth is we don't know if we have 21 days to live. And this God first life, it's available. Jesus has done all that he could do. He paid the price completely. He sent his spirit to knock on the door of our hearts. He is willing, if we're opened up, he says, I will come in and fellowship with you and you with me. He will help us to prioritize. Okay, there's some things there you need to move out of my master's suite. I'm taking over. But he does, he does a good work in us. And it's always for our benefit. It's always for good. Man, I don't miss being drunk and out of my mind. I don't miss having a temper that I couldn't control. I don't miss having a selfish heart that just cons was consumed with self. Anybody miss your old self? The, prop, the, the, I mean, the benefit that I had is I knew where I was headed because I had experienced him at such an early age. The truth, please hear me today. The truth is this. We have today. We have this moment. Every one of us are one heartbeat away from eternity. Should your heart, should my heart decide to take just a little break, we step into eternity. And in eternity, we don't get a do-over. In eternity, we can't come back and say, oh, oh, let me make it right with you. The decision is made prior to stepping into eternity. And that's for us, and that's for our families, those that we love. In the Bible, Jesus shares a story about the rich man and Lazarus. And he knew the rich, he knew the Lazarus, they gave Lazarus name, so Lazarus went to paradise. But the rich man said, Jesus said he went to Hades, hell. And he had an interesting request. First of all, he said, would you please send Lazarus just to dip his finger in water and touch the tip of my tongue? That speaks to the degree of torture. He, he didn't even have the, the hope to get a cup of water. All he could hope for with that much pain was just a tip of his finger on his tongue. Such a degree of torture, there's no way we can understand that. But then his second request was this. Will you send Abraham, or send me, I think was his first request, to my father's house because I have four brothers would you warn them not to come here? 
That was on his mind. Since he couldn't get relief for his own agony, he wanted to make sure that his brothers didn't come to the same place. And I'm telling you, church, we need to have that same urgency for our lost family and friends. That we want to make sure today is a day they have an opportunity at the time that they're living to receive Christ. But when we breathe our last, it's determined already. Now, Pastor, I, that's a hard message. Yeah, I understand that. But we need to get some priorities back into our life. That we are here for more than just building a life on this earth. This is just, the, the saint saying about journeying through, this is just a little journey that we're on the way through. This is not my home. I grew up singing songs very loudly and out of tune, by the way, but I have a mansion just over the hilltop and, and songs that, that talked about what is to come. And let's make sure that we allow God to use us. Yeah, let's put him first in our own life. And let's allow him to use us to be able to make a difference for someone else. Would you bow your head, please? Lord, we thank you. Today is an opportunity that you've given us. So many of us have already received salvation. Maybe, Lord, there's a few of us in this room that have no longer have you first place. The cares of the world, maybe the distractions even of the world. That some way, somehow, we have asked you to leave the master suite and we've put you in the guest room. We don't want you to leave the house. We just don't want you to have control of the house. And Lord, I believe you're speaking to hearts today. Speak to us, Lord, if there's anything that we're putting before you. Lord God, today, at this moment, we have an opportunity to hear from you. And we want to make sure that we put you first so we don't even have to be concerned about eternity. Heads bowed just for a moment. You say, Pastor, I need to put him back first place in my life. I've got some things out of whack, and it really, I want today to put him first. Would you raise your hand? Be so bold to... There's no condemnation for you, yes. You can put your hands down. You can put your hands down. Yes, sir, God sees that. Today, we're going to put in first place again. Anyone else? I need to put in first place again in my life. I've forgotten about prayer. I don't, I don't read his word as, like I should. I, obeying is difficult, but I want, I want to do it his way. Anyone else? We're going to pray. If you're watching online, please just raise your hand right where you are. God sees that hand. Church, I'm fixing to lead you in a prayer, and we do call it a commitment prayer. And again, it's prayers to initiate that relationship. It opens the door again to that master suite and say, God, come on in. You're in control of my life. So let's pray it together. And we'll give you the words you that raised your hands. We'll give you the words, but you give God your heart. Let's pray it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Would you forgive me 
for all my sins. Would you come into my heart? Would you change my life? And I'll do my best to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. For you that raised your hand, if you prayed that from your heart, God took you serious. And he just came back into your life. I mean, he just moved back into that first position. And it's always good. He's not there to, like I said, to, to strike you over the, over the head. He's there to love on you. He's there to reveal himself to you. And the things that he shows you to do, he will show you some things. They're always for your good. Don't forget that. And he will lead you in his way. And, and you will not regret it. There's one other prayer I want us to pray before I dismiss you. Next Sunday, I will be talking about eternity. It's not talked about enough. We'll talk about heaven, but we will talk about hell too. And I want you to bring someone with you. Someone that you feel that uh, may not have their life right yet, that, that hasn't put God first. Would you pray this week? We're going to pray before we leave, but would you pray and ask the Lord who he would have you to bring, who you can invite. We've tried to make it easy. We have invite cards that give information about the church. It has a map on the back. Hey, buy them some breakfast. Buy them some dinner. It'll be the best $10 you've ever spent if the Lord, uh, if they allow the Lord to come in their life and change their life completely. When we reach one person, we don't just reach that person for Jesus. We reach a family. We reach a generation. So would you pray? I want to pray with you before we leave. Who you can invite? Who that, uh, that the Lord will lead you to to bring next Sunday? Let's pray. You may already know someone. Lord, lead us to that person. Put them on our heart. And better than that, uh, Lord, speak to their hearts that when we ask, they will be willing to come. And Lord, we believe you have a destiny collision for them that they will give their hearts to you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate Mike being here with us. Shake his hand um, before you leave. If you'd like some more information about the Gideon ministry, he's, he's there uh, uh, to give you that. And it's been good to be in God's house. Amen. Let me bless you if you'll raise your hand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Have a great Sunday.